0: Gender studies is a political theory of course. Actually, what it really is. Is a religion. Intersectionality, postmodernism, critical theory, queer theory, it's all even fat studies. Actually, to be a, like, a four straight white man prevented from advancing the corporation, that's genuine bullshit. Like, you know, like when someone duct tapes a banana to a wall and says, like, oh, this is a million dollars, or someone defecates in a bucket and says, like, this is glorious art. <laughs> a female genital mutilation is a barbaric practice. You know, we have a lot of problems here in America, so I, I don't, like, you shouldn't say those type of things or whatever. Who am I, as a Western white neo-colonial male, to say that another culture's practices are inferior to mine? Truth is a fun of who has the power. Do I seek conflict? Yes, definitely, to some degree. I just don't really relate to gender that much. Every single day I walked into, you know, the clown show. You can never make blanket statements about anyone based on. Them. Gender studies, yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty much you can get there like 95% of the time. Then come out that the other side and genuinely feeling like I have spread some harmful ideas. I feel so duped by gender studies. If you're going to go to college, don't waste your money by getting a X degree, and it's usually gender studies.
1: Okay, hello, Paul. You're welcome. Would you believe you are... The first straight white man to be on my channel <laughs> nice happy to be breaking through the glass ceiling
0: it is yeah. my whole life yeah
1: so i'm very intrigued about your perspective uh but before we start i'd love to just um introduce you if you could um let me know let everyone know who you are um you know what led you to making the content you make and what are the kind of things that you talk about on your channel
0: yeah my uh mission, I guess, is to make enlightened centrism great again. That's my tagline, or at least the one I'm trying to give cachet to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is this meme online that if you criticize both the far left and the far right, then you are in an, you know this enlightened centrist or whatever who just oh you hover about and it's like yeah. there's this term both in, which I think is the dumbest term I've ever heard in my life because it implies that if you identify a problem on either side of a conflict then that's inherently bad and there are obviously times where you know one side can be in the right and the other is not but Mm -hmm. um i think the biggest problem nowadays is extremism on the far left and on the far right Mm -hmm. so my whole i'd say the goal of my channel is to bring a meme is to wage a meme war on behalf of the uh enlightened center so I like going after the far left and far right. And uh, yeah. And as far as what started it, um, it it was during the Black Lives Matter riots. I had friends posting all kinds of crazy shit on Facebook and whatnot. And so I had posted some stuff and then gotten arguments in the comment section of a Facebook post, which I was like, this is the most unproductive waste of anyone's time. So I figured I'd put- so you, uh, you posted stuff disagreeing with some of the- Yeah, riots? at a certain point, yeah. Um, a police officer, a black police officer named David Dorn, was killed at a few—I don't know how— a few weeks into the riots. And so I said, if this is what the riots are leading up to, then these have to stop. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And I got all these comments from people saying, like, actually, Paul, you're 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 a racist because you're choosing to focus on the violence, right? This is a you know historic civil glorious movement, and any criticism at all, you know, well, you're choosing to focus on the negative parts. So actually, you're the racist for getting upset that a black police officer was shot in the street. um, And, you know, that just, nobody seemed to care. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to argue in the Facebook comments. I'm going to post some videos. And so the initial videos that I posted were, they were targeted towards like people I knew, you know, from like Facebook or whatever in high school and all that. Um, And then it expanded to more of my creative interest because I've always been interested in uh, philosophy, politics, Mm -hmm. Roman empire type stuff, you know undiagnosed artist stuff um so and then it just grew from there so uh so yeah that's um the origin of my role in the great meme wars to come Mm -hmm. and so you've been making youtube content since yeah three years now three years three and a half almost um yeah and i initially posted just videos just like talking about black lives matter talking about other kind of just basic concepts Um, or not basic concepts but things that everyone who whether or not you paid attention to politics you were aware of and then but my creative interests narrowed on jordan peterson i've always uh, or in college i was significantly influenced by hair doctor as my good friend jj mccullough likes to call um but so then i so then my channel kind of went down a bit of a niche taking jordan peterson's more complex philosophy And trying to distill it down to simpler, a simpler way of communicating it, Mm. Uh, and then it's just evolved into whatever it is now. League, league videos, league, League of Legends and politics intersections, queer, a queer deconstruction of queer theory, um, and all kinds of fun stuff. So, what
1: what was it like for you? You know, when you started with those videos, in terms of, did you feel like you had to be brave to put this out there? Did you have fears, and particularly with then moving on to your comments about queer queer theory and LGBT matters, I can imagine there's some feelings that come up there when you are quote-unquote straight white male and you're kind of having your foot in this game.
0: Yes. Well, definitely. So at first, I, I would say I've never been afraid of saying uh, what my opinion is because I, whether it's correct or not, I believe that I say things that the overwhelming majority of reasonable people would agree with. The only people that really have a problem with me are, uh, people who only see a very specific, maybe perhaps over sensationalized bit of comedy that they don't realize is comedy, or people who are just completely ideologically possessed on either side. So mm-hmm. I never had a fear of I'm putting my opinions out there and I might get canceled or piss people off. Mm-hmm. I did have a fear of just judgment of like I never thought I would make videos. You know, I was like, I'm you know, I guess I was kind of the funny guy in you know uh, middle school and high school and all that, um, and in college. I learned to be, communicate a little bit better, but um, mm-hmm. I'd say it was fear of judgment primarily. Just what is this guy doing? You know, not like, oh, he's saying the wrong things. It's, this is cringe. Um, it, yeah. But, uh, but I got over that after just a couple times doing it. Cause it's just like, oh, well, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. I'm already, I'm already four videos in. If people think I'm cringe, it's already happened. <laughs> I'm going to worry about now. It's happened by now. Um, and then as far as like uh, LGBT issues now, again, I don't, I genuinely do not believe that saying that on because you're a certain identity you can't talk on certain issues I I don't I just don't think that's convincing independent of mm-hmm. whether or not I think it's like morally right I just mm-hmm. am confident that that's not convincing. Mm-hmm. So I I never really felt like that was a barrier of any kind. Plus I have mm-hmm. a minor degree in gender studies so technically yeah the joke I like to make to my female friends is: technically, I'm more qualified in women's issues than you are. So, if you guys have any questions, you know, let me know. Yeah,
1: it's a good way to put it. I think um, I totally agree with you, and props to you for having the guts to talk about that stuff. Because I think, in a twisted way, now you are of the demographic that is of a unique type of oppression, where you know suddenly your opinions seem to have the the lowest standing amongst a certain group of people. And I can speak for, you know, I've talked a lot about my experience in the quote unquote queer community um, in London, which is where I live and how, you know, the patriarchy and straight white men are just demonized in these people and the way they speak about them. It's like, they're not even thinking. And it's really how we are conditioned to be able to like dehumanize people and they just think be, "Oh well, well, because it's that kind of person, then it's impossible to dehumanize them, but I, I feel that's how we dehumanize people because we think it's not possible.
0: Yeah, yeah with the uh the capacity to otherize is just that's like built into our DNA. that's just basic tribalism, right I, I would say it is interesting, like as well, is this is, is the straight white male the new uh oppressed class? It is interesting, I worked for companies where I was told, you know, a lot of corporations, particularly in the United States, I don't know how it is in um, England, I would Mm -hmm. assume it's somewhat similar, but there's a, there are metrics that, there are requirements for corporations to hire a certain number of people to to meet diversity goals, not quotas, because I was told quotas are illegal, but Mm -hmm. goals are okay. Mm -hmm. So if you say, I want my company to resemble the communities we serve that's the politically correct way of putting it that means i want you know if i'm if i'm in a community that's 50% non-white then i want 50% of my workforce to be non-white yeah. and i was in meetings i was part of the dei program design team because as soon as they off an email got sent out saying we're starting a dei program design team if anyone wants to join i said sign me up all right i want to make sure this ship doesn't wanna do an iceberg um <laughs> going undercover yeah, well, uh, but I was very clear with my beliefs and perspectives and uh, – but I was told at one point that people would be offered different compensation levels based on whether or not they met diversity goals, which meant right. that literally mm-hmm. – I w- I, while I was on that DEI, DEI program design team helping you know do whatever, come up with interview questions or some bullshit that was all nonsense anyway – um, I was in theory making it more difficult for me to get a promotion or whatever to move forward, and i i quit my i quit my job. I would say thirty three percent for that reason. Yeah. Um, so I personally do not, I do not uh, regard myself as pressed along that dimension, but I'm also not going to ignore the fact that if I was not fr- like privileged in other ways, just from ha- you know from my dad growing up poor and then, you know, doing well and allowing me to have the very privileged life that I did have, like actually to be a, like a poor straight white man with, you know, who like, and then actually being prevented from advancing the corporation. That's genuine bullshit in my opinion. Yeah. Um, So, so yes.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, especially if this person has come from, you know, abuse, like a difficult childhood and, work their ass off to get to where they are. And then they simply don't get a job because they are not of that minority status. So before we dig into gender studies, (laughs) because I'm very intrigued to know, just you mentioned centrism, obviously. And I guess if I had to describe myself, if I had to, I would probably use that word or moderate or, you know, that I can see elements from both sides.
0: But how would you describe centrism and what does it mean to you? Um, conservative on some issues and progressive on some issues, depending on what makes sense. I mean, that's the simplest possible way to put it. And it's all relative. Conservative and progressive or left and right. I mean, are literally are relative terms. It's like left of what and right of what? So if we're talking about social issues, well, I would have been left wing five, 10 years ago.
1: Mm -hmm. But if,
0: if, if being left wing on social issues means... Uh, it's a modern civil rights issue to ensure that biological males compete with biological females in sports well then i'm not left-wing so you know now i'm i what am i conservative on that it's like i think that's yeah. a stupid way to put it but my particular brand or again the meme that i'm trying to force through the front lines of the meme war is enlightened centrism which is it's an it's it's specifically trying to kind of it's snarky take it back like oh you're going to call me an enlightened centrist like yes i in, i in fact do have the correct opinions on every issue if that's the case if if all i have to do is say well the far left are wrong and here's why on whatever issue and the far right are wrong on whatever issue well then fine i will be an enlightened centrist if you want to call me that so that's mm. how that the arch enemy of the enlightened centrist in my opinion is the 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 moderate the status quo moderate meaning yeah so by that, you mean someone who's not
1: necessarily brave enough to think critically themselves and disagree with whatever is right for them, but sort of going along with what everyone around them is thinking? Yeah,
0: well, that, yes, that would be a major element. And then also just, it's not about like, it's not, it, it's, it's like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden in a lot of ways, you know, the, like people who can't, People who cannot see someone who is in the center, who's not far left or not far right, but refuses to see the scope of the problems that we face as a society. We're like, oh, well, we just need to, you know, adjust our tax rates a little bit more and we'll be fine. It's like, well, we also have the advent of social media and artificial intelligence that's destroying the minds of an entire generation. It's a little bit more than just, you know, <laughs> let's adjust our, our the tax, our tax rates here. Yeah. So uh, I like the t- radical centrist. Again, it's all words it's all just terms and definitions and ultimately yeah. it's whatever you know is best at communicating when i'm trying to communicate but
1: you mentioned the far left and the far right so in a quick summary what would you describe as kind of the biggest
0: issue on each side maybe that's a very large question but uh i would say the fundamental divide on the far left it's it's a question about truth and philosophy and it, it's yeah it's a question about truth because w- Depending on what your epistemology is, epistemology is the philosophy of truth, what is true, how do you know what's true or not, depending on where you fall on that, all of your political opinions and all of your opinions on everything will will, will grow out of that. And on the far left, they have the mentality that all of our norms and everything that we believe is true, every time you make a statement like murder is bad or, you know, this art is good. Um, that's all a social construction, that the only reason we believe those things is because people in power conditioned us to believe those things in order to reinforce their power. So that would be the left-wing fundamental problem. The right-wing fundamental problem is the opposite, which is there's only one truth and we know it, and it's in the Bible. And it's not just in the Bible, it's in our specific interpretation of the Bible or whatever religious text. Um, (laughs) So that's the simplest way I would... uh, Yeah, divide it. I can go into more
1: detail, but and so do you always tie far right with religion?
0: Yeah, it's hard for me. This is yes, well, no, well, that's a good question. It's hard for me to conceptualize ultra conservatism that is absent a fundamentalist religious perspective. Can you? I mean, can you think of any examples of how that might play out? I'm definitely not as like
1: equipped with a lot of the knowledge you possess on politics but i mean when we talk of i'm gonna say something really stupid here when we talk when we talk of the nazis and, and hitler i would think of him in my in my head as far right but was that coming from but not super religious yeah yeah British, so military military the, the other
0: yeah so white so like white or like ethno supremacy
1: i mean i guess he was anti-jewish so that that's religious yeah
0: well and so actually that so that's a good point so you can the and i've noticed this with the far right figures they're actually like when when you get the when you get the hardcore white ethno state people like you know white men uber or whatever they're actually not even they they actually a lot of them associate with christianity like the kkk was christian right or allegedly um right. there's a there's a strain of that white supremacism that far right ethno supremacy that actually appeals to like pagan like odin and uh you know uh the Norse gods and all that and Hitler actually made a lot of usage of that type of stuff so i so i think like his appeals were to what i would i would consider religious now i'm a what would you say uh former fan of jordan peterson although i've been heavily influenced i'm a maps of meaning super fan i like his books but i don't like his twitter um so <laughs> i i perhaps have a definition of religion that is not what everyone else uses but i but i regard okay. all of those appeals to like, we are, we are the chosen people. We're the German people. That's as much of a religious claim as, you know, we are servants of God or we are whatever. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like, you know, for
1: this far right, it is thinking about God, whereas far left, it's sort of postmodernist
0: is their religion. Yeah. That's, there. I would, they're bo- <laughs> they're both, there's <laughs> fundamentalists on both sides. Yeah. And the, the, yeah, the Foucault postmodernist. I mean, the best way I would describe the postmodern or the le- the far left pathology is like it's postmodern art like you know like when someone duct tapes a banana to a wall and it's like oh this is a million dollars or someone defecates in a bucket and says like this is glorious art and <laughs> people stand around and take pictures and shit um it's yeah. like the reason that's called postmodern art is because is because of the philosophy of postmodernism, the message that it's trying to convey which is that a statue of david or the or or beethoven's fifth or whatever your favorite song is j cole red hot chili peppers whatever that the only reason you believe that that is art that has high values because your society told you that has value when in reality even this bucket that i defecate in fundamentally is has the same artistic value as whatever the mona lisa yeah and so and that's it's a good it's a very good illustration of postmodern philosophy and the message that i believe and a lot of a lot of the far left pathology is all is postmodern in nature and certainly in gender studies.
1: Yeah. And it's all anti-biology because, oh no, it could never be that there's something innate about my biology that finds a certain thing visually pleasing or a certain music moving. Um, Yeah. Because biology
0: is done by biologists and biologists are people are part of the scientific hegemony that, you know, well, they're, if, if they can get people to believe their research and hold themselves as experts, then that, that gives yeah. them power, which then they can use to maintain their, their, their status or whatever. It's just, yeah. It's, it's ultra
1: conspiracy theory. I think that's probably a good point then to move on to this. So gender studies, um, where shall we start? So tell me, how did you come to study that? And let's take it from there.
0: Yeah, it was uh, sophomore year. I was 19 or 20, and it was the – Donald Trump got elected in November. And I was like, okay, well, I love talking about politics. Can't wait to talk about this very historic election at my liberal arts university, like of all the places I would expect we can talk about this. And I was in business school, and we never mentioned it once except, you know, we got the day off to grieve or whatever because it was so traumatic. Um, So I was like, okay, well, I would like to take a class where – this type of stuff is discussed, like actually. So I took a gender, race and law class and it was pretty good. And then the reason I got the minor was because it was, there was practical reasons. One, I thought that would just be funny to have I'm a, my majors in supply chain management. And that's roughly what I do now and have done for the past few years. Uh, but to pair that with a minor in gender studies, it's a, it's a very, very good happy hour talking point. Be intrigued to see how you merge those two disciplines together. <laughs> yeah, there's not much, there's not much intersection, fortunately. It was also the practical element of, it was It was mainly a practical decision. It wasn't like, I okay. love what's going on in gender studies, because you're not, If if you major in business, you can't minor in another business degree. So I couldn't get like some other finance degree or something like that and I had already taken the 400 level class for gender studies and it was very easy. So I was like, all right, well, I just have to take a few more classes and get it. Um, okay, That's why I did. And it was actually before I had even encountered Jordan Peterson. Cause I encountered Jordan Peterson my junior year. So I, I didn't even have like these, I didn't have the, he lays out a lot more of the philosophical explanation of what's going on in a field like gender studies with like Michelle Foucault and postmodernism and all this nonsense i wasn't aware of that at the time but um it's absolutely the case that there's a lot of that there and there's mm. some so you so
1: you went into it kind of knowingly um with the intention that you knew there would be a lot of bullshit going on or yeah of, well yes.
0: yeah just because that was like oh you gonna get a gender studies degree like you know that's people that's the archetypal like if you're going to go to college don't waste your money by getting a x degree and it's usually gender studies So I I knew that. uh, But I was also like, you know, I'm very interested in hearing what people I strongly disagree with have to say. So
1: I think that's that that impresses me as a 19 year old version of you, because especially when you're that age, the concept of actively placing yourself in a room full of people who you know are going to disagree with you is I don't think you find people like that very often. What 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 is it about you that kind of gave you that
0: um, motivation Um, I mean, as you asked that, I was asking myself, am I like, do I seek conflict? Like, yes, definitely to some degree. I seek conflict on Contrarian. Yeah, well, no, 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 because Contrarian just takes the opposite point just for the hell of it, which I will do sometimes, but I don't, I wouldn't define (laughs) myself that way. I mean, like, you know, one of the, one of the fundamental things that, and I've talked about this on my channel uh, multiple times is like, I came from a household that had a, a ton of conflict. So my mom and dad would fight all the time for years and that was the environment I grew up in and I was the mediator. So it was like, mm-hmm. it's built into my mind going back to the enlightened centrism of like, well, you know, don't both sides a thing here. It's like, I watched for 20 years or 18 years or, what, or like 20 years, the arguments between my parents, I would hear, I would hear the arguments that actually played out. And then I would hear my mom's perspective and my dad's perspective. And I would go, you're both fucking wrong because, you know, you both <laughs> poked at each other or whatever, did something cause cause a fight. Um, so I, I guess I'm naturally, I believe I am naturally wired to, okay, how can I see something from this person's perspective and this person's perspective and my own or Something like that. Um, so that's, that's probably the, that's probably the biggest psychological driver that, you know, pushes a lot of this. Um, Very, very interesting. You
1: say that, I mean, from children of trauma or, you know, adverse childhood experiences, which I relate to a lot, but, you know, you can always, you can go down different roads, right? And there will always be positives to be gained from that because of the kind of oh, yeah. defense mechanisms as a child, you just sort of, uh, these coping mechanisms. So I think that's obviously a pro, something good to come out of it
0: for you. Yes. Yes. Among the many, it took several months of therapy and I still yeah. deal with, uh, other issues, but, but certainly I think the big, you know, in your mid twenties, at least for me is when you, there's a point when you step back and realize your parents are, People who ultimately on the big questions in life know as much as you do, you know, and are as ignorant as you in a lot of ways. And that's when I kind of stepped back and was like, okay, let's, you know, instead of, okay, well, I came from a house that was very conflict based, so I can blame my problems on them versus like, well, let me not blame, but like understand how that's impacted me. Look at the bright sides because, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I can complain about my childhood, but then I'm like, oh, well if i was my dad i probably would have turned out way worse given his childhood so you know there's all kinds of as you get older clichés become more and more truth of like oh it's just you know it's family drama or you you know you figure you know you're just <laughs> yeah i'm learning generational trauma whatever it's like yeah i do think that's actually probably the fundamental human condition so um i feel bad for all the losers with healthy parent you know relationships and all that stuff so. <laughs> i feel like that you know there's always
1: something um, very mature stance True. to take, of course. Um, So what is gender studies and it's a... what do you expect to gain from this course?
0: Gender studies is a political theory course. Actually, what it really is, is a religion. And I mean it in the, it's functionally equivalent to a religion. So did you grow up religious at all? Yes. So
1: I was raised okay. Catholic, not strictly, but... Okay. Yeah, I, Did you I ever kinda... go to like
0: church camps and do
1: Sunday school and all that? I went to church, never, never anything okay. more than that.
0: I was big into, ch- I went to church camps and, you know, we'd sit around a circle and Paul, you know, what's on your mind? Like, praise God, that all this stuff, not like super crazy stuff, but stuff like that. And it's exactly the same in a gender studies class where it's a testimonial nature. It's not about, it is, it, it is, and it does depend on the class, but the majority of them are designed to it's like it's like if you go to sunday school they might ask you questions like well think like why is there evil in the world or why are certain people the way that they are and it seems like it's a real question but they have a religion so they're you know just pointing you towards whatever direction you want to get to morals yeah um and so the the claims the fundamental claims of gender studies the fundamental theory in gender studies i think you could say is intersectionality which i suspect you and your audience are probably familiar with um Oh, yes, but, I'm very intersectional. <laughs> yes, right, right. Um, I am my only mildly intersectional. I have a peanut allergy, so I'm technically disabled. So you're able-bodied, and I'm not. So that's my
1: well you, intersectional you, point. How are you assuming I'm able-bodied? You're actually that's true. You are actually incorrect. by just said that was it impressive. Like, how can you assume my gender? Um, I keep forgetting to do this. Um, because I'm sort of new to podcasting. But for the sake of anyone listening that doesn't know what is intersectionality
0: uh intersectionality is a um what's the best way to describe it for someone who hasn't heard it before it's a it's a it's a tool it's a it's a tool for looking at the world sort of like like libertarianism like what is libertarianism well it's a set of ideas about how the world is and then how you should act in the world like libertarianism says freedom is the most important thing and these are the ways that we maximize freedom uh intersectionality the 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 fundamental claim is society is made up of interlocking systems of power that's why it's intersectionality so I'll give you the the academic version that I explained at to, to CJ, the CJdX so intersectionality uh, imagine you're you're a, you're a person at the center of the you know you're a dot okay and then you have uh, like a spectrum right um, there's many different ways that you know you could you can fall along the spectrum and this spectrum we'll, we'll start with is class, right? So you can be proletariat or bourgeoisie. You can be poor or rich, right? And you fall somewhere along that spectrum. So everyone falls somewhere along the spectrum of poor and rich, okay? That's one spectrum. That was the original uh, critical theory, critical Marxist theory where a lot of these gender studies ideas comes out of. That's the original, what would you call, it, dimension of identity here was, is, is poor and rich, okay? So that's one dimension. But then there's another dimension. You could be white or black. And rich is obviously superior, rich has more power than poor, right? And white has more power than black in a traditional racist society. So it's not enough to say, well, are you rich or are you poor? You also have to say, are you rich, or are you poor? And are you white and are you black? So now you take into account, well, are you rich, you know, rich and poor along this identity? And then you take out, are you white or black along this identity? Then you add another dimension, gay or straight. Then you add another dimension, able-bodied or disabled. In every single dimension, there's a dominant identity and a subordinate identity. There's a powerful identity and a non-powerful identity. And so intersectionality is basically is saying for every individual, you look at, you know, where along these dimensions does each person fall? And, yeah. uh, that, and then that <laughs> – they don't say this explicitly, but, you know, their theory is, well, if you take those into account, you can better understand how being rich and black is still, you know – bad compared to being poor and white which is absurd as fuck yeah um, but you know that's how they justify those claims like that and how you can be a rich black celebrity and still you know racism is a bigger problem for you than being poor is for you know some poor white wow. person so yeah so intersectionality is saying we have to we, we look at basically five or six dimensions of identity race gender sexuality able-bodiedness class maybe a few more like you know indigenous status or something like that. Um, and then those are the only ones that matter, essentially. Yeah. And that's obviously problematic because, um, and I actually wrote, this is one of my papers, not not thesis, I didn't write a thesis, but one of my main papers criticizing intersectionality was, it doesn't take into account experiential oppression. Like, let's say you're a straight, white, rich male, blah, 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 whatever. It's like, okay, well, what if you were abused as a child? Or what if, you know, your uh, a, a parent passed away when you were young? It's like, there's literally a million, or what if you were bullied, you know, very badly when you were, there's literally a million ways in which your experience is, can affect who you are independent of your physical character or whatever your identity is. Yeah. Along those classic canonical dimensions that are not taken into account. And so intersectionality is a, you know, to, to steel man it, it's basically saying like, you know, we need to take into account how like, okay, well, if you, you know, you could you might be up in the 60s. It certainly was the case. You might have some money as like a black person, but if you still had to go to the segregated water fountain, it's like, okay, that's a real problem. So, you know, it, it tries to look at those situations and take more nuance into account. <clears throat> um, the irony yeah. is that, you know, it's just a hobbled form of individualism. Like what's the ultimate form of intersectionality? Take every single dimension into account. You know, not just your race, but your sibling status, you know, your immigration status you know, what your childhood was like, what your relationship with your parents was, what your relationship with your friends were, like you take all that into account, you get the individual, which is sort of what our whole society was kind of pushing for. But that's changed in the last few years.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I I would describe it as like a a very basic scorecard of oppression for dummies. So simple tick box exercise on, you know, which of these boxes do you fit in? Therefore, you deserve more than that person. Um, and I do, I do think you know, kind of initially, if you're uh, still fighting for lots of different causes, then it's good to kind of recognize, okay, this person has kind of been dealing with two different kinds of oppression. But I just feel like in the West now, I feel you know it does a lot more damage than good. It's certainly quite regressive. Um, so how does it relate to gender studies
0: then? So gender studies is it's called gender studies, but it's you know like you could not talk about any issue without also bringing up race without also bringing up class so you know i'm i'm quite sure that gender studies and uh like african-american studies and even fat studies to the degree that i don't know if they had that at the school i went to but i'm sure that's a degree now i'm I'm pretty
1: surprised that's that's
0: a thing yeah well i'm pretty sure you would you would basically get the same basic you know it would overlap a great deal there might be you know specific stuff that's more uh esoteric um, whichever one you pick but it's all the same kind of thing like you know what's what's there's different types of medicine right you, you know you might go into like oncology versus uh neurosurgery or whatever but like everyone gets a basic idea of basic health and how the body works so it's all of those studies gender studies grievance queer studies the grievance studies you call them they all go back to intersectionality postmodernism and critical theory it's all this it, those are all more or less getting at the same. Same things. The, pro- the problem with all of this stuff, once you get into the academic stuff, is it's, it's purposely meant to be inaccessible to people. And purposely might be the wrong word, but that's just where the incentive structure lies, where it's like, well, if, 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 if intersectionality and postmodernism can be understood by not even the majority of people, but like a significant minority of people, well, then it eliminates our power as academics, you know, contributing absolutely nothing to the scholarship. Like, like if you take an intro to philosophy class, like one of the most basic things they'll talk about is continental versus analytic philosophy. It's like philosophy 101, the history of philosophy. And I don't even fully understand it. There are people who say that that distinction is nonsense. Right. So like you can't even begin to talk about the most basics of anything having to do with philosophy without some people saying that's not true, that's not true, that's not true, which is completely different for like math. You just obviously point out, like, well, two plus two is four, and you know, two times two is four, and da da da, and you it builds up from first principles. Philosophy, it's like, so there will be people who you know can say, well, technically, postmodernism is this, and postmodernism is that, and like, there's nuance there. But as far as people watching need to understand, it's intersectionality, postmodernism, critical theory, weird theory. It's all, it's all different ways to describe the same fundamental issue at hand which goes back to the truth is a function of who has the power right that's that's kind of the the fundamental yeah um, commonality
1: so would that be your description of postmodernism?
0: yeah in the way that i criticize it you know it's like saying what's christianity it's like well christianity is the belief that jesus rose from the dead it's like well yes it's more than that because there's like specific rituals and all that stuff so like as soon as you take a word like christianity you can explore it to any level of analysis, right? So postmodernism, you can explore to any level of analysis. But if we're talking about like fundamentalist Christianity, you can be a little bit more reductive. You don't have to be an expert on Christianity to criticize fundamental Christianity, right? I don't believe you have to have read the Bible to point out why fundamentalist Christians are wrong. The same thing with postmodernism and far left academic theory. It's like, well, you, you know, you can't criticize it until you know all these things. Um, and it's like, well, First off, in my case, I do actually happen to—I wrote papers on these things, and I—and it—it's funny to see people's eyes kind of go, gl- you know, uh, glaze over when it's like, "Oh, this guy actually uh, talking about Sylvia Rivera and the Stonewall riots, and he knows what that is," and that kind of is harming us—that uh, <laughs> was we were hoping on it things. But, <laughs> yeah, 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 all that stuff. It's like, and and like, but to the average person who's just concerned about the extremism coming out of those fields. Um, yeah. The, the the fundamental thing you need to know is that they believe that what is true and what is moral is relative. It's socially constructed and it's a function of whoever has power and all of the norms that you and I operate by, like, Hey, we shouldn't, you know, uh, cut off the breasts of 13 year old girls who believe they're the opposite sex. Like, whoa, 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 the only reason we believe that is because we live in a patriarchy that, you know, uh, uh, has these very binary categories of sex and the, the distinction between adult and the child is arbitrary as well it's like i've heard of that that's yeah and yeah. that's 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 Fou- that's foucault's philosophy pushed to its extreme limits yeah and again in my mind you don't have to be a a, a postmodern philosopher to say That's fucking bullshit, and there's no scenario where we're going to accept that. And I'm going to put my foot down, and I'm not going to sit here and explain it like a fucking nerd about. Well, technically, the reason that we shouldn't, uh, you know, get rid of the distinction between a child and adult is, but it's like, no. Sometimes you just sometimes there's some things that you just have to say. Fuck you. We're not debating this, and that's that. Well said. And that's how I feel about generous.
1: Well, you mentioned queer theory, so I'm I'm curious would you see gender studies as kind of a subset of queer theory or are they just both kind of separate types of critical thinking? How would you describe queer theory, I guess, for anyone listening? Yeah.
0: Well, so queer, yeah. Queer queer theory would be the idea that, um, I'm trying to think of the relevance to connecting it back to. Well, queer, queer theory is the idea that being queer is inherently a good thing and not queer as in like as in gay or whatever. Queer Mm -hmm. meaning that, and they have that dichotomy it's the normal and the queer yeah right so queer queer and they mean that like in a deep philosophical way like there are the there are the norms of society then there's the queering of those norms and to be queer is to engage in revolutionary opposition towards these oppressive patriarchal racist norms etc right yeah so queer theory is the idea that the rejection of societal norms is inherently a good thing because those societal norms are inherently oppressive, and the queer theory perspective again, you're not you're not you're not going to find a a self-described queer theorist who does not also subscribe to yeah, racism it's not being possible. the, the base yeah like if you're a queer theorist then you're also basically a critical race theorist and so on yeah. and so forth. There's 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 interesting points where they don't overlap, which are very interesting. Like uh, okay, like there are uh, for example, there's like there's black nationalists who are very homophobic. And it's very interesting to see, like a, like a, like you know, Umar Johnson by any chance, Doctor Umar. Um, he's a, he's a, he's a character. Um, but they're like hardcore black nationalists who are very like you know anti-gay and homophobic and all that shit. And when they talk to like Black Lives Matter advocates, where a lot of Black Lives Matter advocates are like, well, of course we have to include queer black people. Like we need to center black trans woman as the black... yeah. You know the the black nationalists are like, no fuck that. And it's just it's and then it's then they're in this. Yeah. weird world where there's no because they're you can't call the black nationalists racist or whatever right you call them (laughs) you call them misogynist and patriarchal so it's just a whole fucking but then
1: but then they also have this argument of you know you can't be a feminist and also be racist or like you can't correct yeah so if you are for one social justice movement that Ergo, you are for all of them. So I can I right. can see what you mean. That's in why terms it's of... like
0: queer theory, gender studies. fats it's yeah. all. You can't have one without the other, really. I just uh-huh. yeah. So queer theory in particular, I the they their focus is uh yeah to 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 queer to to act to live queerly is an act of revolution. So if we can be as flamboyant as possible and uh, and like you know the extreme version of of queerness is like like doing kink shit at pride right like at a pride parade or whatever um which i think pride parades absolutely have their place and you know certainly should be family friendly um and maybe at the nighttime version go do whatever you want at whatever burlesque or whatever uh club but like the whole point of undermining the norms is like no, no no we have to do this in public because to not do it in public would be to acquiesce to the norms that say heteronormative yeah exactly and all that stuff i'm 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 a big fan of heteronormativity um by the way oh great Um, well i i want to
1: put up in that because i am too and this is a lot of stuff that's impacted me personally um but i guess more broadly what are some of the most outlandish kind of ideas you heard being
0: discussed you know while doing this course uh we were talking about we're talking about oppression as we always do um, And I said something to the effect of uh, female genital mutilation is a barbaric practice. And female genital mutilation, I don't know if you're familiar, it's like a very, it's a barbaric practice. It's, I won't describe it, but it involves surgery on. To basically remove the ability to have, you know, sexual pleasure, right? Yeah. It's meant for men to control women so they don't, you know, are not promiscuous or whatever. And it's a very Mm -hmm. like terrible surgery Mm health-wise and other things. I said that's barbaric. And a woman in my class was like, well, you know, we have a lot of problems here in America, so I don't, like, you shouldn't say those type of things or whatever. And that was sort of the vibe of the rest of the class, was like, yeah, you can't say barbaric. And I was like, Mm. what the fuck? We're in a gender studies class. I thought of all the, like, the archetypal example of patriarchy, you know, is surgically removing, you know, female genitalia for the purpose of male dominance, to say that's barbaric, and the reason is, well, who am I as a Western white neocolonial male to say that another culture's practices are inferior to mine? Sorry, I forgot. I will uh, not criticize that disgusting nonsense. I mean, that was it's probably so, the craziest it, thing I've heard. Did anyone like argue it or was it just sort of? No. The, the other thing too is it's – there were a couple people who were like your classic, uh, you know, just chirping every – raise her hand and the thing about heteronormative patriarch is this is that. but the majority of people in those classes just never participated they were just there because they just took that as an elective and they just had to take right. on right okay. so it's it, so it's not like every single day i walked into you know the clown show every now and then the circus was in town but uh this is what i've been imagining in my head <laughs> yeah and actually to be fair and i do want to say this actually the I uh, one of the gender studies professors I had a great relationship with and had f- multiple like three hour conversations with. Um, he was a straight white male, uh, so you know, of course, it was just our, yeah, it was a our It was a our natural unifying around oppression. Oh, you but two he, were just
1: uh, colluding in in private to uh, exactly you know, oppress the rest of the class.
0: Yeah, but he but he was like a legitimate gender studies professor, and he you know had a lot of I would say progressive ideas, but he was very much like. Common sense in terms of like, yeah, I go to these academic conferences and I hear all this pretentiousness around, oh, Western society or whatever. And he's, and, and he said to me, like, and this is coming from these people who are the most privileged people in the world whose salaries are paid by these students who go into debt. And I'm like, fuck you. And like, I'm like, all right, that's fucking, this guy's for real. So yeah. there's always a part of me, anytime I'm mocking gender studies, which I do regularly and I do condone, that is like, I can't forget that you, no matter. You, you can never, you can never make blanket statements about anyone based on, oh, you have a gender studies degree, you must be this way. Gender studies, you yeah, can, it's course. pretty, it's pretty much you can get there like ninety five percent of the time, but even right. then, you know, uh, there are exceptions to that. So, you know, yeah. you just got to be willing to pay the. price. If you are going to generalize, then you got to be willing to pay the price. And if you say like, yeah, you know, everyone who gets a gender, gender studies degree is an idiot, and then you come across someone who you genuinely are like, oh, I like this person, and then. They tell you you have a gender studies degree. Well, now you got to be the one in the awkward position of like, damn, I just called all these people idiots. And how am I going to deal with that in this conversation? So, yeah, um, it's not like I don't pay a price for saying all the crazy shit that I do. Um, but sometimes collateral damage is necessary in, in the meme wars. So, well, I'm certainly glad you're paying the price. <laughs> yeah, Cause <laughs> Cause that's sure. Someone has to. Um,
1: so I think a lot of people could probably grasp the idea of questioning ideas and opinions so for example oh why do houses have four walls and a roof well that's only because we've been conditioned to know that Um, you know why do we view this as beautiful that's only because we've been conditioned to do that but then I think what a lot of people really struggle to grasp is how we have people genuinely debating and believing plain objective facts such as male and female or if there's any other examples that you can give I'd be very interested to know um, so did you come across stuff like this? Um, I'm assuming, you know, you had Judith Butler and Anne Foster Sterling yeah. and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, well, the the again, going back to the all truth is socially constructed. It's like male and female are categories and to categorize is to otherize unless you're the dominant category, right? So if you're a biological male and a white, able-bodied, rich one at that then the whole purpose of your categorization is to solidify power for yourself and to marginalize others. And obviously, you know, like, it's not like women haven't been oppressed in history. Um, So there's always a kernel of truth to that. Uh, But the idea that, yeah, male and female are not real things. It's just this convoluted theology of social constructionism. And again, I do think it's – the best way to think about it is like, you know, if you've, if you've ever gone to church and, you know, like you have people that like they go once a month or every couple months and they go and they, they say they believe but they've never read the Bible themselves and they just kind of nod and go, well, my pastor said this so I believe it. It's like that's basically how it works in gender studies, right? Like Christian Pardon theology – yeah, well, Christian, Christian theology is very complex. Like there is a lot of like serious academic you know, theological debate that goes on amongst Christians, right? Um, and the same is true for gender studies And they're both, in my opinion Equally, uh, not equally They both rely on certain things Not being true about reality Like sure. evolution not being real um, yeah. They both they both would reject evolution Funnily enough um, But the average person just goes Well, my pastor said this, so I believe it So like, when, the, well, male and female no. Well, I, they can't really, they're not going to sit there and go Well, because of the, you know uh, Foucaultian regimes of truth And what Foucault allows us to do is this, this and that They're just like Look, I'm I'm for inclusion. And inclusion means expanding the category. And expanding the category means pretending the category doesn't exist in reality. Yeah.
1: I mean, in a way, I'm really impressed by these people. And also, you know, growing up, I never believed a word of really religion. I think I always sat there in church thinking, like, this stuff is so stupid or not listening at all. But I also – I wasn't raised in a strict household. We never even really talked about it. It was just custom – So, but it does, I mean, my boyfriend was raised Mormon and he's not now, obviously he's kind of stopped when he was a teenager, but, uh, he was also similarly kind of asking lots of questions, but it was a lot more integral to his life, this life of being a Mormon. So he kind of had to challenge it. Um, and I said, you know, did you, well, he, he described scenarios where he said, wait, but you guys say this thing and then that thing and that contradicts each other. So how does that work? But it's just things that no one says, you know, it's this unspoken rule. None of us utter these hypocrisies and contradictions and ask those deeper, meaningful questions. Um, And if he did, you know, people would say, oh, he he has very wild ideas, your your boy or whatever, just kind of brush it off. So in a way, these people impress me how they are able to stay so resolute in their echo chamber when I guess me as a person, as soon as I can see something that challenges what I know to be true, I don't really have difficulty going down that path. And one of the reasons why I speak about what I do is because it wasn't even that long ago because of my experience in the queer community and wanting to be included and everything taking off on this gender train all of a sudden. You know, I ended down a rabbit hole of adopting lots of these ideas. And then, well, at a job I'm, I'm at, Uh, which is corporate, there was sort of this extracurricular opportunity to lead an internal training course on, you know, gender. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, you know, I'm gay and like, I can be a part of this. And I suppose having come out that the other side and genuinely feeling like I have spread some harmful ideas, I feel so duped by gender studies because I feel like all come, it's all come from there. And it has infiltrated the fact that I'm just a gay man and I'm same-sex attracted—it's infiltrated my experience to now, I somehow have to believe in all of this anarchistic, let's overthrow reality. It's it's wild, and I don't know if I was going to follow that up with a question,
0: <laughs> but I, somehow, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's like, again, it's like, um, I I like to say I'm Christian adjacent. And that I have a I think, like, our, I do think our, I do think Western society is rooted in a lot of Christian values and others, Greek philosophy as well. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, like, the idea that, like, love your neighbor and, uh, you know, act like, act like Jesus, like, those are all, I would say, like, objectively good things, right? Like, love. you know, that's how societies flourish when you, when forgiveness and, and, and grace and all these values are held high. Yeah. But if you then, but, but if someone takes advantage of that and says, oh, well, you love Jesus. Well then, you know, you love the Bible. That means you love everything the Bible says. And what the Bible says is that gay people, da da, da, da." and so like, it's not as obvious on the right. And I don't think it happens as often, but it's the same process. That's that process on the left. Like, oh, I'm, I'm for inclusion. Like, of course. And you know, I, I was, I was as part of that DEI program design team. We talked about putting pronouns in our email center at work and I would lead roundtable discussions. And I was very, people should be skeptical of this and I don't blame them for being, but I was pretty objective in like, um, so one of the things that we're talking about as a group is requiring people to put their pronouns in their email signature. How does everyone feel about that? And a lot of people were just like, you know, I just don't understand the point of that. I, like, I don't mind if some, it's in someone else's, I don't really want to do it myself, which is more than reasonable. Um, but no one was like, I'm not doing that and here's why. And But there were a lot of people that were just like, well, of course, if it makes someone feel better, I'll do it. Like, what's it cost to me? I don't see how this is a problem. But then it's like, okay, well, we'll put our pronouns in our email signature. Well, next we'll put our race in our email signature, as some colleges do. Are, I've seen that where it's like pronoun, he, him, race. And then guess what? You get on the whole intersectional train at a certain point. And I've it's never like, seen what point that. Oh
1: God. I hope that train doesn't
0: make its way <laughs> well, here. And you, well, you've seen like it, it's pronouns and Zimzer and all that, right? Yes. You're, you, yeah. you're, uh, I clicked on your YouTube channel. It says it, it says a pronoun thing. Yeah. I had it. I had it for a second as it, it's in my own because I couldn't, I I, I I. clicked on add pronoun and then I canceled out, but I couldn't redo the changes. So I'm like, do I have to put them in? All right, I'll put it, it's in. And I went back, but that's hilarious. I love that. It's like, it just it's, it highlights. Sure if, the someone, in the oven.
1: if someone didn't know me and they click on my page, they immediately go, nope.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm honestly, this guy. Well, I had, we, I did a, was doing a podcast with some friends for a period of time. And under all of our like names, we had our pronouns in there. And it was like, guys, if someone comes across this podcast, you're going to get the wrong impression on this. But we were like, fuck it. We don't care. That's going to happen no matter what. So it's funnier to do it that way. Those Uh, pronouns
1: are messed up. I mean, um, it's funny how it's a microcosm, you know, of queer that I only see on the internet discussing these pronouns. But then you watch, you know, Jubilee debates where people are arguing a point and they're like, I'm not going to call someone Zim, Zer. And it's like, (laughs) it's like, okay, calm down now. Like, let's talk about the they, them, because that's actually something we're dealing with every day. But you see this sort of issue with outlandish ideas from social media being weaponized for political conversations that really don't really happen in day to day life. And if you do meet someone who says, please refer to me as it, it's, you would just probably distance
0: yourself from that person quite quickly. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I've yet to come across in my real life an idiots. I know teachers in the Chicago public school district who have students who go by Zimzer and Bug Bugs. They said like at least two out of their 30s. 10 of them, I think they said like 10 or 11 out of 30 went by some alternate form of proton, proton of pronoun and, uh, and <laughs> a couple of them literally went by bug bugs or Zimzer or some shit like that. So I'm like one degree away from people who deal with that. On right, basis. Okay. It's like particularly bad with like younger kids, you know, middle school, yeah. high school, stuff like that. Well, so... the U S is definitely
1: worse because I think the one advantage I'm Irish, so I don't relate that much to British people, but I've lived here for 10 years. Um, but the one good thing in that sense is, English people are, are a lot more reserved and they're very shy. So they never want to be the center of attention. Ameri- are you American? Or?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I live in um, Dallas, Texas. I moved from oh. Chicago to Dallas in the last couple of years.
1: You're so I'm American
0: American. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I feel like everyone with uh, the ability to think is somehow moving to Texas.
0: <laughs>
1: um, you know, it's funny. I have one of my sisters lives in the suburbs uh, outside Chicago, actually.
0: So. Okay, that's why I grew up. I grew up in the suburbs. Um, Well, maybe you can, don't dox yourself, but we can, you can tell me after. Sure. Um, Some of these
1: ideas get bred in the UK, but then they are so ridiculous that people don't have the confidence to actually say, I'm going to do this. So we get a lot of he days and she days here, like a lot, because. and my my theory (laughs) is they can have a bit of the oppression and a bit of the, you know, I'm not heteronormative without the commitment. Um, yeah. I, I even did a reaction video today to this in, interviewing woke students on campus, and he went to Brighton University, which is like the gay capital, LGBT capital of the UK. And he said, "Why are you she they?" And she said, "I don't, I don't know. To be honest, uh, it's just something I um, I'm just not like. I just don't really." relate to gender that much like it was such a little amount of thought and I know someone too who you know she introduced herself to me on a, on a work call and she this is like a few years ago she said um, I'm a non-binary lesbian my pronouns are she they and I was sort of new to this game so I genuinely was curious and I said oh how can you identify as non-binary and a lesbian you know genuinely curious and the whole call just went dead and she just goes um I'm gonna have to think about that and get back to you oh my God. Yeah, it's... And you just think you are claiming this to be your identity, you know, a very integral part of your identity, and you, you, you can kind of openly admit that you have no idea. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's the difference between our countries is that same ideas... But I feel like Americans are in general a lot more confident and outgoing, so they can actually have the gumption
0: to be like, "I'm bug bug self." <laughs> yeah, people have compared it to like being goth or what. It's just like a social identity, or you know, like a, it's just like it's a subculture. thing. It's a, it's, yeah, a subculture. Mm-hmm. And if it if I meet someone in real life who goes by they them, even if you're against that, I don't think it's a good idea to like you're a she her and make a big deal. Like I go with whatever I, I try to be. I be I try to be polite now if someone is like playing a power game of some kind like my pronouns are you know they them and you will call me that like i'm, I'm gonna go actually i don't believe in that um but generally speaking like if it's that person who said like well why are your pronouns she they oh, i don't really know i'm not gonna be like i'm not calling you they them like i'll probably i don't know what i do It's, it's all context dependent but the reason that i do think it's important to actually like draw lines on this shit is because this shit confuses kids that's the problem it's like oh well for the adult not that something. goes like i'm she they okay well she's probably not going to get hurt but like if you're a kid and everyone around you is like gender's not real and if you like like dolls i remember there's one clip that sticks in my mind it's some big trans youtuber who's got like i don't know a couple hundred thousand whose videos get like hundred thousand views where he they she says something like if you are asking yourself am i trans the answer is you probably are It's like, no, you probably fucking aren't, actually, and you should probably not go down the medical route, which is being pushed on everyone and there's an entire profit incentive behind that and all that shit. So I don't, I'm very sympathetic to the average person who's like, why do I, I don't give a shit about pronouns. Like, even people who are like against it, they're like, you care too much in the opposite direction. Like, I don't care about pronouns. I'm not like against them per se. Like, I'm sympathetic to that. The reason I'm against the crazy shit is because you have to draw a line somewhere and if you don't then it leads to all this nonsense about normalizing like well you were assigned your sex at birth and with just this you know $999 a month uh, pill we can align your body with your felt sense of sex whatever the fuck that yeah. is so but never apologize. never
1: align never align your mind with your body it's all yeah, right, never that around.
0: yeah and that's yeah that's conversion therapy they've they've mm-hmm. changed the words now So that conversion therapy, which is genuinely, you know, uh, like a bad thing, I think adults, like if you wanted to go to, I think they call it restorative therapy that, or I think that's what they call it for like the Christian fundamentalists is like, well, if you want to, if you as an adult want to go to, you know, by your own choice, go to a therapist who says they'll pray the gay way. Like, fine. You can, you can have that right as an adult children, no fucking way. And that's exactly how I feel about gender therapy. It's like, if you're a child under no circumstance whatsoever, once you're an adult, even if I was against it, in theory, like you know the fundamental line is informed consent child children cannot give informed consent, so that's the line yeah. I have, and I'm not interested in debating it not not even with me
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah.
0: um yeah yeah. Well, yeah, I suspect you would be on my side, so for sure, uh, my concern with this is just is the the fundamental basics of how it's affecting things. It's like there's massive medical malpractice, in my opinion, going on with children, weird shit going on with female prisons and female locker rooms and stuff like that, and female sports. That's the touch point where I think it matters. It's like, look, if you're a biological male, you just don't Mm -hmm. enter a female space like that. When you get into that, like the Ray Branch autogonophilia versus the homosexual types or whatever, it's like... Then the my intuition is the best way we handle that when we're out in our daily society is like you just treat every person like an individual and if they're being good goodwill if they're not trying to like I'm I am this gender and I'm a victim and I'm going to somehow use this against you it's just like I just feel this way and you know if you don't want to call me the pronouns whatever it's like I've, I've said this it's like CJ the X is I've talked to CJ the X he, he's a, a YouTuber who actually does a lot of great videos he is non-binary. Uh, he's Is he. he uh,
1: I I watched one of your most recent videos, like a uh, pronoun debate. That yeah,
0: that was him. That yeah. was him. Yeah, yeah. Um he's great. I, he's actually he's like a artistic and philosophical genius in my opinion. Um mm-hmm. but uh why did I bring that up? Because um Oh, because I and I said I said that I'm like, look, I'm I don't use they them. I just don't, you know, I might do it for someone I don't know, but like I'm not gonna especially like behind closed am like refer to someone as a they when i'm just me and some other person like i'm not playing that game i'm not denying my own i'm not putting you in a third category that's like non-human or some shit like that um not that they them isn't human it, it is definitely not human and i'm never calling anyone an idiot no no fucking way but what i said to cj was like the fact that you are in no way like trying to like call me they them or like you know you're you know playing a victim of any kind it's like i'm almost incentivized to go out of my way to call you they them just because like that's a respect, you know, if that's what you genuinely if that's what you generally want to be called, genuinely want to be called, and it's not for some power dynamic thing of like, you know, I'm a victim and call me, you know, I'm gender oppressed or whatever. Then I'm almost like, yeah, I'll go out of your, I'll go out of my way to do that. But, but like, it gets, I don't know, it gets, it's complicated. It's times like these when I'm like, I can totally understand why my friends who have zero interest in politics whatsoever (laughs) they're like paul you spend an hour and a half talking about pronouns and non-binary and zimzer and stuff like that it's like that's because if i don't then in five years you all will be forced to put your it it's and sexuality pronouns in your fucking email address and exactly and then and then when they hear a story about it from work they're like thanks paul (laughs) thanks for fighting the good fight because we don't want to be doing that shit so that's fair
1: It's funny because you do kind of think it's this esoteric thing online, but I mean, I see headlines every day from the UK of this stuff affecting our country, you know, it's like, and it's one of the major political issues. And I think this, you know, this idea you had of drawing the line is something I've thought of a lot as well, but it's just, it's so difficult because it's so enmeshed with this postmodernist theory that. If you then step in and say, oh, well, we can have, you know, 10% of postmodernism, but we draw the line then, you know, it's never, it's like Helen Joyce. I don't know if you're aware of her, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she does this analogy of, you know, in maths, if you just change the tiniest little thing of this little equation all the way over here, then the whole thing's fucked. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, But I could honestly talk to you um, forever. I can't believe how long we've been chatting but there's kind of two more things i I really wanted to dig into if that's okay so the first one is do you have theories on how this queer theory this heteronormative bs has infiltrated the lgbt community or what it means to be gay even if we just start there because i think it's so entangled in it now that people actually don't even realize and separating it seems to be impossible it's like a parasite has overtaken it
0: yeah, it's because it takes advantage of people's genuine empathy and for gay people I think there actually is a space for empathy. Like you said, you know, like not what is it, 98 or 95% of people are straight. It's like, you know, to be nowadays, yeah, I don't think gay people face the oppression that they did in the past, like and where they do currently in other parts of the world. Um, yeah. But like it is more I like I do like I think it's fair to say it is more difficult to be gay in terms of just like you know, if you're straight, well, theoretically, every one of the opposite sex is a potential partner, right? You mm-hmm. know, um, you know, obviously depending on attraction and their relationship status and all that. But like, when you're gay, you're like, you are, your options are so much smaller, right? And then also like, it's just, you know, I've like, I've had conversations with very left-wing gay friends who talked about like, yeah, I would get uh rocks thrown at me on my way to school because of how I dressed. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty fucking uh, lame. And so, you know, like the fact that people, like, you know, people associate oppression, like gay people have been oppressed, we should have empathy for that. It's like, that's true. And in, and sort of in a way that's unique to being gay in the, you know, in the same way that, you know, everyone, everyone can have a part of themselves that, that uh, warrants being empathetic towards. But with gay people, yeah, it's like, let's be empathetic. And not be oppressive okay and then that idea that's all the ideology is based on is like well we're anti-oppression and it's so empathetic to be that way so it just naturally capitalizes on people's feelings towards that and it's like of course gay people who've been called freaks or what or if you you know if you grew up getting called a freak and all that like you're gonna be more sympathetic sympathetic to the freaks right you know or the queers in the in the academic sense right yeah. um so yeah i think it's just a natural hijacking of empathy and the genuine desire to push back against bigotry and shit which like kind of seen light centrist, uh the queer uh fundamentalists are as bad as the right-wing religious fundamentalists who say you know being gay is gonna send you to hell and all the shit and it's just like so yeah i i understand the uh, desire for or the, the the impulse for people to be susceptible to that. Mm.
1: Yeah, you 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 touched on many interesting points there. I think some people who don't have the gay experience, for want of a better word, um, you know, they kind of think it's just about whether you were bullied or not or actually looked down upon or not. But like I said before, if you do grow up in a small town and you are the only gay in the village, um, you know, you'll typically hear of boys, all their friends were girls. Well, I think that's just because they are the closest thing that they can relate to. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they are their people that they would. And then you know they move to a city and they real they meet lots of other gay men and it's and it's a whole different ball game. It's like oh now I can really connect with you on a different level. And I'm not here to say that we can only connect with people of our same ilk, you know. But it definitely um, it, it can affect people growing up just not having that relatability. And I think that does play into this gender dysphoria in particular because you can only see yourself in women um so i think the empathy is a really interesting point and also you know people always say trans is different from sexuality but in reality for it's like all the reasons people transition are sexuality motivated it's all sexually motivated because for homosexual men it's motivated by their sexuality because of how they fit in society and then for the autogranophilic men that's it that is a sexuality essentially so it's actually all intertwined in that way, so they kind of go hand in hand
0: there. But yeah, I'm just, I'm yeah. Well, and then you add to that the fact that, or the claim, which I believe that, like you know, psychoanalytics, like everything your your whole psyche is tied up in like your sexuality and you know identity and all these different things. So it's like that. Yeah, the human human mind is very, very, very complex, and um, and yeah, and it's men and when it manifests, you're you're. It sounds like you are – you subscribe to Blanchard's – is it a dichotomy? The, it's homosexual and the autogynophile is how – Yeah, like typology. City. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, Everything I've read, I'm, like I, I haven't seen any legitimate study of criticism that refutes it besides people yeah. saying, oh, he's just – that's been debunked many Yeah, times. right. Well, that's generally
0: <laughs> a sign that he's probably onto something. Um
1: Interesting. Well, I, mean, I will that.
0: actually need to. I, I've heard of. I'm familiar with that. I, I don't. I'm only aware of it. I don't okay. subscribe to it because I just. I guess I haven't thought about it. But as you talk about it, I'm more inclined to look more into it. Um, well, one one interesting
1: thing about about it is obviously we we have these different motivations to transition, right? And you know, people often find themselves thinking, "When did this trans debate become so hostile? And why is it so intolerant to questions and debate?" um because it's a religion exactly but i think the reason why the religion is taken off is because for these autogynophilic type men they become so deeply in love with this idea of themselves as a woman that it's like you defending your wife you defending your husband from the rest of the world trying to attack them and if they concede that trans women are not women that breaks their whole bubble. It's the whole fantasy has been broken. And I don't say that from a place of judgment because I think we need to have compassion for this disorder. Otherwise, we can never teach men how to actually deal with it. But they suffer this sort of narcissistic injury because they grow up with this deep sense of shame for having this erotic lust. No empathy, no relatability for that. That typically breeds narcissism. And then they have this whole trans community saying, no, you're actually just a woman and you've always been a woman. Um, and then they can fully embrace this female version. So I think that's where we see all of the hostility coming originally, discrediting, discrediting all these scientists. But the issue is that now it's become a civil rights movement and you have all these students on campuses adopting it. So that's my thing, I think,
0: overall. Yeah, and that uh, – yeah, the point about like it, it, their whole f- – that's what the whole – if you deny that they're really woman, then you deny the whole thing. It's sort of like Christianity. Like if you deny Jesus didn't rise from the dead and like there's a specific verse in the Bible that Christian cite, is like, no, no, no. You can't just be like, oh, I'm a cultural Christian. and I like the idea. It's like, if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then the whole thing is moot. And there's a verse in the Bible that specifically refer- refers to that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, that's exactly how, mm-hmm. yeah. If, if I'm not a woman, then that means, that means the that means the sex binary is valid. And then if that's valid, then it means that it's not oppressive. And if that's not oppressive, then well, society's not oppressive or as oppressive as I thought it was, which means there's like other explanations like, Oh, maybe, uh, you know, um, our ideas are shitty. And it's like, then you just unravel the whole thing, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like, what, what, you know, and it's, easy, it's easy
1: for me to feel a bit ju- judgmental over these people. But then I just take a step back and I think, wow they've sort of kept themselves locked in these ideas for like 20 years. So I, I do feel bad for them because to question
0: that is to question everything you've built your life around. Um, yeah. What I would, what I would say is to, if someone was watching who is like hardcore committed to this belief system or really any fundamentalist belief system and, and, you know, and they have any level of questioning, it's like, you don't realize how powerful you become as a X ex- Convert out of it. It's like the most capable critics of bad ideas are usually the people who were very intimately ensconced them for a very long time. So it's like, um, you know, that's ex-religious people and people who like switch political sides or whatever. Like, like I, it's a very common pattern. I see that people that I respect generally, no matter who they are, are people who, when they were younger, were the opposite of what they are now. And part of what gives them their wisdom is like, well, I know all of the valid, real. Reasons why people believe these things, not just a straw man type thing, right? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, Yeah, you become a very you become a very powerful force for good when you uh (laughs) betray Satan's army and join God's angels or insert whatever (laughs) metaphor.
1: I can't claim to be that powerful, but according to your description, I would fit the category for this gender stuff. I guess. Well,
0: I have. Yeah, I've got absolutely no doubt that you like. Well, you keep and you keep saying. I notice you keep saying like we need to have empathy for people and compassion. It's like. I don't – you wouldn't – I don't think – I suspect you would not say that if you had not had the experience you had. Um, and I think that I would say probably contributes to your success and to the degree that people um, respond mm. to what you have to say. So. Yeah, I mean unfortunately, sometimes I take it too far
1: still and make a joke out of stuff because some of the ideas are so ridiculous. So, like said, I said, you got to be willing
0: to – you know, you can – you just got to be willing to pay the price. That's the thing. We all have to pay a price. You got to to pay a price at some point. Mm-hmm. If you go around, if, if you take your whole life, never, never saying anything that would offend anyone ever, you can do that. And there's, those are called nice old ladies. I am not a nice old lady. I straight white male douchebag. So I will <laughs> lean into that, but try to do it with a good heart. Sounds good to me. Um, so yeah, the, the last point
1: um, is, and I'm sure this could be a whole conversation in itself. But on counterpoints, um, what would your impressions of her be? As as a whole, because she strikes me as very interesting, and for anyone listening, Counterpoint is a trans YouTuber, very left, very um, postmodernist. I don't know if you would describe her like that, but she she comes across to me as someone who's so intelligent, but then also can simultaneously have like the dumbest ideas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, she is. So I would say Philosophy Tube is like all the way postmodern. Like Philosophy Tube scares me. Um... Do you know who Philosophy Tube is? She's another trans. Video oh essay. no, I, th-
1: I thought you were just referring to like the the genre.
0: No, no, no. There's a there's oh. a there's a YouTuber called Philosophy Tube mm. who is a tra- a transgender video essayist. Okay, she's ph- in my
1: algorithm. Oh yeah, <laughs> interesting,
0: interesting. Yeah, you'd be you you by all means check her out. Uh, very. She's postmodernist to the as postmodernist as one gets, in my opinion. Um, contrapoints, yeah, contrapoints. I have a great deal of empathy for contrapoints because I think she's got one foot in truth and another foot in the compassion that drives her to want to believe the parasitic ideas that come out of gender studies, which which latch on to people's compassion. As I said, like her, like like I like I said, I was you know, um, very much influenced by Jordan Peterson's ideas, and then I watched contrapoints' critique of Jordan Peterson, and the whole time I was like. Yeah, this is fair. This is not like some, you know, one whining about how he's it a Nazi needs. or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually pretty well thought out, um, even if I didn't agree with it all. Now that I've grown up a bit and you know, realized that uh, even people you strongly admire can act like total fucking morons on Twitter, which reveals just general flaws about them more broadly. Uh, if I go back and watch that ContraPoints video, I bet I'm like, damn, she's actually was more right than I probably realized at the time. So she's v- clearly very capable of seeing things for what they are. But I just think that, like, the end of her J.K. Rowling video, which is what I criticized, she said something like, uh, you know, we have to realize that the true, like, J.K. Rowling is not the devil, right? It's not, she's not this evil person or whatever. Like, it's more it's more complicated than that. The real devil is, like, the Republican Party or something like that. And it was like, she was, she could have said something like, the real devil is the... The pain and suffering that we all have, that we carry with us, hurt people, hurt people, kumbaya, something like that. Um, But no, it was like, the devil is the Republican Party and white men. It's like, okay, well, that, again, I believe, I have no doubt that she has probably experienced horrifying discrimination and personal bullying from, you know, bigoted white men. So it's like, you know, do I blame someone for having the opinions they do? It's like, well... No, in some sense, but you still have an obligation to grow out of that. In the same way that, like, you know, I know people who had, have had very negative experiences with people of a certain race. So, like, when they say their bigoted opinions, I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, I, like, I'm empathetic to where that pain is coming from, but it is still not appropriate. It's still your responsibility to recognize that that is not – you cannot use your personal trauma to then generalize about, you know, an entire group of people, which is, like, the whole problem with – Maybe society more broadly, but certainly right. gender study stuff.
1: Yeah, I think I, I just find it really hard to understand how she's this ability to think critically, but then she can listen to the whole witch trials with J.K. Rowling, and then just her conclusion is, "Oh no, it's just blatant transphobia." That's
0: it. And it's like, come on, like you you listen well, to that whole podcast. Perhaps, and we can wrap up with the, perhaps the most important piece of wisdom that I've ever put into a sentence. It's not my ideas, but like the smarter you are the easier it is to rationalize stupid ideas. And if you're very, very smart, then you can listen to a whole episode of JK Rowling's thing and find every little instance of like, oh, she's saying this because she's transphobic and this relates to this and you can create this massive narrative. And that's the danger of like religious fundamentalism and conspiratorial thinking and one size all solutions. It's like, if you're very smart, then you get very good at telling that narrative in every circumstance and ContraPoints is very smart. So it's not, it's mm-hmm. not as difficult for me to think about like putting herself, putting myself in her shoes, of like listening to that podcast armed with her very sophisticated ability to tell a narrative. Cause she's just, she's an artist fundamentally. I mean, those video essays are works of art more than they are, you yeah. know, uh, well, at least not maybe more than they are, but at least as much as they are informative, they're aesthetically sophisticated for sure um, yeah so she has that capability and she's pointing that unfortunately towards she's telling the wrong story but she's a good storyteller so even a good storyteller can tell the a good storyteller can tell the wrong story well if mm-hmm. that makes sense
1: it's a very good point i think including to themselves including to themselves Yes. I think, you know, even very religious people can be super smart. So yeah. yeah, I hadn't thought of that and definitely look into the Blanchard's typology because according to that, she's attracted to women. So she was a straight man. Um, she would fit into that autogynophilic category, if that's correct. But she did a whole video debunking autogynophilia. And, you know, I can really see it for what it is now, I guess. But anyway, thank you so much, Paul. Really enjoyed this conversation. It was it was yes. so great. Thank you for sharing everything about the madness of uh, your gender studies experience. And um, yeah, it's just been a super great conversation.
0: So where can people find you if they've not seen you before? P.F. Young on YouTube. P.F. J.U.N.G. Young as in Carl Jung, the psychoanalyst who Jordan Peterson yeah. references a lot. So is that, is that pretty fucking young or is it? <laughs> is it just I don't, don't know. It's my initials. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, and it sort of sounds like P.F. Chang. That actually went into that. Do you know P.F. Chang's? no i know it's a, it's a chinese <laughs> okay pf chang's is a is a big chinese restaurant chain here in the united states so um oftentimes i get the comment pf chang's and i was like well it's there's already that real estate that pf chang's built up in people's minds so i just parasitized onto that and, mm-hmm. uh, so i take advantage of their marketing
1: well, thank you so much, Paul. I'll I'll put your link in the description, well, and yeah, hope you have a great rest of your day. Cool. Thank you, Jack.